Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joshua this morning. We're going to return today to our series on famous people of the Bible. And the last time we were in this series, we had focused on Joshua as he prepared to confront the wall city of Jericho. We looked at his amazing faith and as he and the people of Israel followed God's seemingly absurd instructions on how to defeat that city. But they did it, and they did it from faith. And in Hebrews 11, verse 30, it says, by faith, Joshua. All right. But not all the faith was outside the city. Because, you see, the collapse of Jericho was complete except for one small section of the wall from which a scarlet cord was hanging. It was the court of faith. And thus Hebrews 11 verse 31 says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. There's two words that we don't often put together. Faith and prostitute. Right? By faith the prostitute did this. I mean, that's just... We just don't, we don't think that way, but yet Rahab acted out of faith in the God of Israel, welcomed the spies, hid them, sent them on their way a different direction. It's amazing what the story is. So I want to look this morning at the story of Rahab, the faith of Rahab. And so we're going to begin by looking a little bit of background to her story. An entire generation of Israelites had died out in a 40-year wilderness wandering. You know why. That's because when Moses sent spies into the land of Canaan the first time, he sent 12 spies in. Ten of them came back with a bad report. They, They convinced the people, we can't take this land. The people there are too big. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. We saw the giant people there. Not only that, but the cities have walls. They're well fortified and the walls just seem to go up to heaven. We can't take the land. And even though Joshua and Caleb told the people we can do it, God will give us the land, the people were convinced they couldn't take it. And out of disbelief, they said we need to turn around. Well, Moses had the spies spy out the land for 40 days, and God's punishment was one year of wandering for every day that they'd spied out the land, hence the 40-year wilderness wandering. And none of that generation of people, none of them entered the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that believed that God would give them the land. Now, here they are back in the promised land again. They've come across the Jordan River. It parted for them. And they're at a camp close to the city of Jericho. And Joshua had once again sent spies out. God's brought them back. He has buried Moses, who's now dead, buried him in a secret place in one of the valleys of Moab. Joshua's now the leader of the people. So they come back. Joshua sends not 12 spies in this time. But two, it says, go look over the land, especially Jericho. 
And so it says in chapter 2, in the first three verses, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. This was an especially dangerous reconnaissance mission for these two men. I don't think I would have wanted to have been either one of them. I mean, this, this was incredibly dangerous. Jericho was a walled city. And not only that, it was situated in an open valley. You, you didn't just sneak up on Jericho. They would see you coming. And its inhabitants, the Amorites, don't you think they're on special alert right now? Don't you think they're watching? Why do I say that? Hey, if you've got one to two million people that all of a sudden move into your neighborhood, you know something's up, right? I mean, a mass of people, an entire nation of people is not that far away. They've just come. And so these people, I think, would have been on special alert. They're suspicious probably of everyone and everything. But the spies, I would imagine they they took some precautions because of the danger. Some scholars suggest they probably would have crossed the Jordan River up north a ways so as not to be detected. And then would have come down and come into Jericho maybe from the west side instead of the east side. I would assume they disguised themselves so that they would appear as Amorites, as the people of Jericho, probably approached the city with great caution looking for just the right time to enter undetected and the best place to slip in unnoticed. And apparently, they're successful because they do get in through Jericho's gates. And as many traveling merchants would do, they sought shelter in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. That would not have been unusual. They probably thought their chances of escaping notice were best served there. But their strategy failed them in two respects. Because I think the Amorites were watching. They were on special alert. And I think obviously someone saw them enter Jericho and followed them to Rahab's house. They were detected. And they go tell the king. And the king sends word to Rahab to bring them out. But not only that, Rahab the prostitute immediately discerned their true identity. She knew who they were. She knew where they were from. She knew why they were there. So from all appearances, everything had fallen apart. And these men are doomed, all right? The king is searching for them. They can't retreat back into the city because they'll be recognized in some way. They'll they'll be captured. And if if they jump across the wall somehow or through a window and let themselves down out onto that open plain, well, the king's horsemen could have chased him down easily out there. So it looked like their time had come. They're done. They're doomed. Hopeless situation. Except for one totally unexpected thing. The faith of a prostitute. And again, that just doesn't seem to go together. Here is a woman 
who sold her body for money, who submitted to any man who crossed her doorway if he had the cash, and so unanticipated and so extraordinary was this prostitute's courageous faith that she's included in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, right there with Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and the shady lady from Jericho, Rahab. And folks, she had three strikes against her already. Number one, she's a pagan. Did she know God, the one true living God? Well, you would think not, but maybe she had heard about what this God had done. But did she know him? Probably not. She's a pagan, so she, she's in spiritual darkness. Not only that, she is a harlot, a woman of ill repute, okay, a prostitute. She's living in sin. And thirdly, she's a Canaanite, which meant she had been marked out for sure destruction by the Lord because the Israelites were to wipe them out. And yet, she came to give her life to God, and God had a plan for her life. And before it's all over, she winds up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. Wow. You talk about an amazing story. And that just, that's the forgiveness of our great God. Because you see, what you are of natural birth means nothing to God. It's what you are of supernatural birth, a spiritual birth. That's what makes all the difference in the world. And Rahab went from the devil's hall of shame to God's hall of fame. In fact, Rahab is the final person in Hebrews 11 to receive an individual commentary about her faith in that list of the champions of faith. And Rahab's faith, a prostitute's faith, is given as an example to us and to all that desire to have true faith, especially those who know that they're sinners and who deep down want to be pleasing to God. So let's take a moment and examine Rahab's faith from three different angles. Faith's works, what she did. Faith's formation, how she came to have it. And faith's rewards, the results of her faith. So first of all, faith's work. As you read the story here in Joshua chapter 2, immediately you're presented with quite an awkward fact. That Rahab's first work of faith, we might not call a work of faith. Her first work was a lie. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, when the king had sent word to her, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Liar, liar, pants on fire, right? I mean, she told three lies in one. First, she said she didn't know where they'd come from. Yeah, she did. She knew who they were. Not only that, she said, secondly, that they had left. They hadn't. And finally, she said she didn't know where they were. She did. She'd hit them up on a roof under the, the stalks of flax. 
And so here you have it, a lie was the first work of Rahab's supposed faith. So what does this teach us? Well, obviously it teaches us that it's okay to lie in certain situations if it helps us out of a bad spot, right? Thank you for the three or four that said no. All right, yeah. No, it doesn't mean that. And even though the Bible records the lies of some notable people of faith, like Abraham and others, it never approves of the act of lying. Did Jesus ever lie? No. Did he ever deceive anyone? No, and we are to do our best to live according to his example. And the fact of the matter is, folks, Rahab's lie put her life in great danger. Great danger. If the king had gotten word of what she had done and how she had lied, her death would have been immediate and terrible. You can bank on that. But remember this also. We've got to consider Rahab's lie against the backdrop of her pagan culture. Did she know the Ten Commandments? Had she heard the words of the law? Did she realize God had said, Thou shalt not bear false witness? She didn't know any of that stuff, all right? I doubt very much if godly morality and the ethic of truthfulness had penetrated her pagan mind. Did she possess a moral conscience? Well, maybe. But had that conscience been influenced or informed by the truth of God and and from God's word? Well, no. And my point is, and I'm not excusing her lie, but my point is it's very likely it didn't even occur to her pagan mind that she was doing something wrong. Hard to say. I'm not saying her lie was okay. I'm not saying it's better off for people to not know what's right and what's not. But I am saying that God recognized the motive behind what she did. And that motive was faith. Now the classic symbol that revealed her great faith was that scarlet cord that she hung from her window over the wall of Jericho. You go on down, you read verses 17 through 20 and it tells how The two spies promised her safety if she would display that cord in her window. And they promised that everyone in her house that she gathered there would survive if that red cord were in place. And she agreed and sent him away and tied that scarlet cord in the window. And you know that scarlet cord tells us that Rahab's faith was completely trusting of what these two men had told her. If the Israelites fail to return and conquer the city, what do you think is going to happen with her having that cord hung out the window? I would imagine she would be found out. Someone's going to figure it out. Someone's going to take a look at her house and say, how come all your family are gathered there instead of in their own houses? And they're going to put two and two together. and Someone's going to talk. She's going to be found out, and she and her family are going to go down to their graves in agony. But in spite of that, she completely believed what those two men had told her. She completely believed, evidently, that judgment was coming upon her people, but that she could be saved. And so she let down that scarlet cord in profound trust. 
And it occurs to me, I, I don't know if you can make the tie or not, but in some ways this connects in me to the Passover 40 years earlier. The Israelites were commanded to gather all their family into their houses, just like Rahab did. And what were they to put on the outside of their house? Blood. Blood. So that when the death angel came and saw the blood, everybody inside would be spared. And what happened with Rahab, I think, parallels that very closely. And maybe the spies were quite aware of that symbolism. But in both cases, there was something red upon the doorway or outside the house that, that evidenced the faith of those inside the house. Rahab stood alone against her entire culture. Something few of us probably have ever had to do. When you go to the book of James in the New Testament in the second chapter, it tells us that true faith produces works. Because James says faith without works is dead, being by itself. And he gives two examples. The example of Abraham, who was to take his son Isaac to the mountains of Moriah and offer him up as a burnt offering to God. And Abraham went, was ready to kill his son before the Lord stopped him. But the second example is Rahab. And he presents them as parallels. And of Rahab, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? So James' point in those two examples is that faith, faith is willing to risk everything. Everything. Faith caused Abraham to risk the life of his son, believing that God could even bring him back from the dead. And faith caused Rahab to risk her very own life and the lives of her family. True faith, folks, is risky business. True faith may cost us everything. Are you willing to let faith cost you? So we see faith's work what she did in hiding the spies. But secondly, notice faith's formation. Where in the world did Rahab, living in a pagan culture, get such great faith like this? What, what brought about the formation of faith in her? I mean, did they publish it in the Jericho Daily Record? What happened 40 years earlier in Egypt? Did they put flyers and brochures out that talked about the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea and how the Egyptian army drowned there? Had they read somehow or what, of, of all those plagues in Egypt, especially the tenth one that took the life of all the firstborn sons? Where did her faith come from? Somehow, she and her people had heard of what had taken place 40 years ago. And it was still in their minds 40 years years later but notice what she says at verse 9 of chapter 2 she said to them I know the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt 
and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings and the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Wow. What a declaration of faith that is. From a pagan prostitute. You remember when the 12 spies that Moses sent out came back and the 10 of them said, listen, we can't take the land. Those people are too strong. They're too big. They've got walls around their city. We're nothing. We can't do it. They will annihilate us. That wasn't true at all, was it? Fact of the matter was, when God's people crossed the Red Sea and began to move toward the promised land, the word got out, and those people were saying what? This God is God. And they were melting in fear. They were shaking in their boots. They didn't know what they were going to do. That was the real story. If the children of Israel had acted in faith back then. But how do you get faith? Where did did Rahab get her faith? Well, the same place you and I get ours. Faith comes by hearing. And they had heard. She said, we heard how God parted the waters of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. We heard what you did to Sihon and Og across the river whose land you took. We've heard this. Faith comes by hearing. It says that Romans 10, 17. She had heard about all that God had done for the Israelites. And maybe she had become disillusioned with the culture around her. In her line of work, she had probably seen life at its worst. And maybe all of that together made her open to truth and faith. But then don't you think she probably noticed the difference in these two spies that came to her? Because they didn't come to be involved in her line of work. All right? I don't think there was any money exchanged there except maybe for some lodging. Men that were confident in their God, men who probably you would think had high morals, something that she hadn't witnessed before, hadn't seen before. They were, they were sure of their God. And maybe all of that together brought about the formation of faith within her. You never know where you're going to find faith, right? You just never know. And Rahab's example tells us that there's hope for people where we would never dream of it. In fact, what was it Jesus said? Remember when he was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 31? These words of Jesus on the screen. I tell you the truth, he said to the Pharisees. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. They believed John. Never know where you're going to find faith. Which tells me there is no one too bad or no one too ignorant to be saved. Anyone can come to faith, just like Rahab. Her story shows that there's hope for everyone. So faith's formation. Faith comes by hearing. And Rahab had heard. And then lastly, faith's rewards. Rahab's faith brought about three rewards that I see. First, Israel was encouraged. They were encouraged. They were encouraged through her great confession of faith. 
They were encouraged and uplifted by the positive report that the spies brought back. They were encouraged and strengthened by the miraculous deliverance given to the two spies through Rahab. So there was encouragement for the nation of Israel. A second reward was Rahab's salvation. Now initially that took the form of physical salvation for her and her family because when the walls fell, they were not harmed. And in chapter 6, verses 22 through 25, after the wall had collapsed, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now initially Rahab didn't have saving faith in the spiritual sense. She was saved physically along with her family being spared from death. But I believe as she joined with Israel, she ultimately completely believed and became a full member of God's covenant people. I think ultimately Rahab's faith saved her in every way. And then the third reward we've already touched on, and this is where her story becomes almost an impossible dream. Because not only did Rahab live in Israel the rest of her life, but she married an Israelite and became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1 bears witness to this incredible faith because Rahab married an Israelite prince by the name of Solomon. And together they gave birth to a boy named Boaz. Boaz married who? Ruth, the Moabite woman. Together they had a son, Obed. Obed got married, and he and his wife had a son by the name of Jesse. Jesse got married, and he and his wife had a son that we know as King David. And through David would come the Christ. So Rahab was the great-grandmother of King David, and she's listed right there in the bloodline of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, which really fits perfectly because we're all guilty of spiritual prostitution, aren't we? We're all guilty of spiritual unfaithfulness. Jesus didn't come from a sinless human line. Every person in it was a sinner that needed salvation, just like Rahab. And think of the advantages that all of us have over Rahab. I mean, just consider, we're surrounded by people right here in this congregation, people of faith, people that have trusted Christ, people that can lead us in the right direction, people right here that will pray with us and counsel us and, and, and give them their resources to help us grow in faith. The quality of the lives that some live among us draws us onward and upward. The advantages that we have in forming faith are huge compared to what Rahab had. 
And get this, God doesn't expect perfection from us. He knows we're weak. He knows we're on a sin. That's why he sent a Savior. But he's willing to forgive. And he does expect us to act upon our faith, even if it's just one step at a time. Even if it's a stumbling faith, he expects us to act upon it. He expects us to hang that scarlet cord in the window, announcing our faith to this dark world and to trust him alone for our salvation. He expects a faith that works because faith without works is dead. You know, it really doesn't bother me that God saved Rahab the prostitute. Does it bother you? I hope not doesn't bother me. I'm glad that he did. Because if he could save her, then he could save you. And he can save me. Amen? Amen. Are you saved? Are you saved? And are you living out and acting upon your faith? If not, your faith is dead. And a dead faith won't take you any place. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of decision this morning. Just as I am. If God could save a prostitute, he can save any of us. Just as we are. But he won't leave us that way. We'll change. And we'll begin to conform to the image of Jesus. From glory to glory, he will change us. If you have a decision you need to make for Christ today... You can meet me right down front as we stand, as we sing.